Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Grain by Train podcast for Grain Week 1 of the 2021-22 Grain Year. This is a podcast where we discuss how rail service performance is impacting the movement and export of Western Canadian grain. I'm Greg Northey from Pulse Canada, and I'm joined, as always, by Mil Proyer of QGI Consulting, who manages the Ag Transport Coalition, a consortium of ag- agriculture groups that produce data and reports on rail service and performance. How are you doing today, Milt? I'm good, Greg. How are you? I'm quite good. Thanks. So we started the new grain year. Uh, grain week one is in the books as far as the ATC reporting goes. Um, clearly a really interesting first week. Um, demand is, is quite low. This could be a large element of what we're seeing as far as the, the, the drought this year. But um, what did you see in, in grain week one? Well, when we look at a system level, all in all, I guess you could say not too bad. Um, And again, a little bit uh, of a tale of two railways. Um, CP, uh, effectively perfect out of the gate this year with 100% order fulfillment in week one. Um, CN, uh, not as good, but certainly better than they have been uh, in the previous four weeks through the month of July. So they were 81% on time with uh, fulfilling hopper car orders in week one. So, you know, the improvement from CN is, is a welcome sign um, after what we saw in, Juma- in uh, July. But uh, a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, one is that, you know, their demand level was very low and we'll talk about that in a moment, but um, at fewer than 1,800 orders on a system basis, that's remarkably low demand. Uh, so a little bit concerning that even with that kind of, of demand level, they could still only manage to hit the 81% number. And, and frankly, they, they still rationed a, a train uh, from one shipper in week one, which is kind of odd when you think about the fact they only had 1,800 orders to fill. So a little worrisome there, but all in all, better. Uh, On a provincial level, um, two things, I think, kind of sum it up. CP was good across the board. Uh, 97% in Manitoba is the lowest that we saw. 100% Saskatchewan, 100% in Alberta. Not much to talk about there. CN, a little bit different. A little bit all over the map when you go province to province. Alberta saw the worst of it. Where CN only fulfilled 57% of orders in week one. Again, driven by their performance in the Vancouver corridor. Manitoba uh, was at the top of the scale, 100%. Uh, not a lot of orders, but at the end of the day, CN filled them. Uh, and Saskatchewan came right up the middle, um, split the difference with 87%. Um, CN generally was pretty good in the different corridors for Saskatchewan, dragged down a little bit by Eastern Canada, but apart from that, not bad. Yeah, the demand is is uh, a bit concerning. Uh, you have some insight into the the coming weeks, or at least the the next couple of weeks within the grain year. Uh, are you seeing the this low demand trend continue, or are you expecting it to uh, to to rise up a little bit? Well, it through the first two weeks, uh, well, through week one, because um, that one is in the books, so we know what those numbers are, and they're not going to change. Um, you know, CN was 45% lower in week one than the trailing three-year average, and a lot more than that compared to last year. 
But of course, we know last year the demand was very strong. CP in much the same boat, uh, you know, more than 50% lower than the trailing three-year average for week one demand. Week two, kind of the same, uh, a little narrowing of the gap for CP, a little bit of a widening of the gap for, for CN. We're actually, the numbers right now would tell us that CN's demand is going from 1,800 to less than 1,500 in week two, which is truly astounding. Um, and week three, the picture seems to change a little. Uh, demand looks like it's going to go up for both railways. Um, the gap will be closed, if you will, uh, by CN when you look at history quite substantially. It'll almost pull even with historical averages at about 2,700 orders. Um, so a near doubling from week two to week three for CN. Uh, CP going up a little, not by as much, and the gap remains, you know, still 30 odd percent lower than the trailing three-year average and way behind last year, although last year for CP was a huge anomaly. So by the time we get to the end of, you know, three weeks as the numbers stand now, and they can always change a little bit, you know, depending on uh, shipper cancellations or additions, whatnot, but both railways through three weeks as currently projected will be trailing last year by about 45%, you know? So for CN, that's about 4,600 orders less. And for CP, that's almost 6,000 orders less. So it's lower, it's lower by a lot. It's gonna improve a little in week three, but it's really tough to say what it's gonna look like beyond that. Okay, well, something to bear, to keep in mind, and we'll definitely be watching it as, as the reports uh, come through for the early part of the grain year. Uh, at the beginning of each grain year is also a moment when we get what are called the, the grain plans. Um, I think I'd like to dive into those a little bit with you. Essentially, uh, for the listeners, is that in 2018, when we, we saw some uh, modernizations to the Canada Transportation Act. Uh, they brought in an interesting clause that required both CN and CP to prepare grain plans. So they're mandated uh, through the legislation. Um, we're in the fourth year of these plans and essentially uh, it's pretty simple ask within the legislation, uh, quite high level, but they require CN and CP to provide at the beginning of each grain year an assessment of their ability to move the grain that is required to move during the crop year, taking into account the total volume of grain expected to be moved. And then they also ask the railways to identify the steps that they plan or that they plan to enable or essentially the things that will enable them to move grain that is required to move during that crop year. So obviously in a year like this, uh, in our previous discussion, we we're talking about demand, um, you know, the railways try and incorporate as much as possible what they understand demand to be. But these grain plans, as I said, have, we're in our fourth year of them. Um, They're meant to be to provide some transparency to those of us in the grain sector to understand what CN and CP, you know, have in store for us for the grain year, how they're, how they're seeing our sector, how they plan to provide the resources. Um, we have these plans now. Um, this week, we'll look at CN's plan. Next week, we'll take a look at CP's. Mel, you've taken a look at CN's plan. Um, what do you see in there? Well, not a lot different, I guess, than uh, what's normally communicated by CN in this plan. The, you know, the, the plan is opened, if you will, by 
uh, JJ Ruiz statement. Um, he's of course is the CEO of CN. And he talks about the purpose of the plan being for one CN to assess the expected size of the grain movement for the coming year. And two, to provide a description of CN's capabilities with respect to the movement of that grain by rail during the coming crop year. So in broad strokes, uh, you know, uh, similar description to what, as you described earlier, the legislation calls for. So the key elements of what CN has communicated in this year's plan are basically as follows. Um, they again have spoken about their uh, planned and historical capital investments in track, hopper cars, locomotives, moving into the new grain year. They have uh, a number of new high horsepower locomotives that have come on, which is part of an ongoing uh, revitalization program of the locomotive fleet. They are bringing on, I think it's an additional 1,000 uh, high cube hopper cars uh, in a, to add to some that were already added in the prior year. And then, you know, they've made and are continuing to make this year a number of investments in track infrastructure and main corridors, particularly to Vancouver, Prince Rupert, um, et cetera. So that kind of sets the table as to, you know, what they say they've done to get ready from a capacity perspective, if you want to think of it that way. Um, the next thing they talk about is their forecast or expectation for grain uh, and how it compares to prior years. And for 21-22, basically they're saying, you know, the total grain supply in the system is expected to be lower. A lot of it driven by a significantly lower carry-in from the prior year. Based on that, they anticipate lower exports of grain and based on that, they expect somewhat lower movement um, based on what they think their market share of that movement will be. Um, the one concrete thing I will say that they do provide in their plan is they talk about this every year is the number of empty hopper car spots or cars, if you will, that they will supply each week to shippers in the country for loading grain for movement by CN. And they typically detail these in terms of, uh, you know, they're weekly, but seasonal. So they have one threshold for uh, the fall, they have a, a lower threshold for the winter, and they justify that reduction in, you know, spotting capacity based on winter conditions, et cetera. Um, and then they have another uh, threshold for the, the spring and the summer, which basically is the same one as in the fall. So this year, um, they're basically calling for about a 2% bump up in car spotting capacity as it compares to last year. So give or take, depending, because they quote two numbers, one for you know, grain and one for um, processed grain products, um, but about 150 to 200 cars more per week. Now, when you consider, frankly, that cars are getting larger, so the average capacity of the fleet is growing, not just in the number of cars, but in their cubic capacity, that probably works out to more than a 2% bump in volume per week. But as far as you know, this, the absolute number of cars, they're calling for about 2% more this year. And lastly, as they always do, 
they have a very lengthy discussion on all of the things that are required for their plan to work and the caveats uh, that identify those things that can go wrong. And a lot of them, frankly, are, are statements that suggest that many of the things that could go wrong are outside of CN's control. So but yeah, it's interesting. That's pretty yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. standard. They've definitely uh, standardized their their approach to these plans, and and to be fair, I mean the legislation is is pretty clear on the two things they they need to provide. Although I think as we'll get to um, you know vague enough to to be interpreted in, in in different ways, but you know they they have a they have a model that they follow. Um, I can say that when this was introduced in that legislation, it was a really interesting concept. I mean the idea that you would get some sense going into the year of, of, of what the plan would be to move grain. It would, it, it provides a really interesting um, idea because you can then measure uh, their performance against their plan. Right. This is, this is the whole idea. Now, as like many things with legislation, the, the concept, no matter how interesting it is, the execution often is, is um, gets, get to water down weakened, you know, with the final piece of legislation, but um, you know, we've looked at these for the past four years, often raised issues with them as far as making sure that we're getting the maximum value out of them. Mill, from your view and, and, and your analysis of this and, and just thinking about the ATC concept, particularly around what, what it means to, to measure performance, you know, where, where do these plans fall short for us as a, as a grain sector? Well, I think, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when, when you said that they've come up with a formula for this and, and CP, which we'll talk about next week, much the same. It is a very formulaic approach. They have taken the, uh, the guidance, if you will, or the words in the regulations about what the, what the plans are required to communicate very literally. So, you know, probably the biggest problem with the plan, if you will, at a macro level is that plan actually resembles the plan that was requested by the government. The regulatory language is vague, it's non-specific with respect to what the plans need to deliver or the kinds of things that need to be included in them. And the railways have seemingly been more than happy to accommodate that vague direction with equally vague plans. Um, you know, when people think of a plan, they think of something with some precision. Um, so if we refer to the Oxford Dictionary, it defines a plan as, quote, a detailed proposal for doing or achieving something. And I would say with CN's plan, the problem is, in large measure, is that there's a lot of the detail that's missing. You know, there's, all, there's two elements fundamentally to a plan. Um, one is a description of what the resources are that will be brought to bear and two, how those resources will be employed. So, you know, you use the term execution uh, a moment ago, and I think that that's, that's the great failure here in these plans is there's very little, if anything, that talks about how they will execute the plan and take that long list of resources that they describe and actually put them to work in a manner that is measurable after the fact to see if they were successful or not against their plan. So contains a lot of the what, not so much of the how. 
Um, there's really nothing that's measurable. You know, both the only thing would be the number of car spots per week, but even that's a little challenging the way that CN groups the numbers and publishes them. Um, there's no information in the plan about how CN sees individual traffic flows for the coming year. So as we know, grain flows in major corridors, Vancouver, Prince Rupert, Thunder Bay, Eastern Canada to the US. They don't talk about the, what they expect or plan for the asset utilization levels to be. Um, and when we think of that, you know, the easiest way to think of that is in terms of what's called car cycles. So if you're shipping cars from the prairies to Vancouver or to Prince Rupert, how many days on average do you expect those cars to turn, you know, from load to empty and back to load? The common metric of performance in the railway industry. There's no discussion about that in the plan. And even more importantly, there's no discussion about that in the plan about what they expect that utilization rate to be in individual corridors. And understanding that in individual corridors is important because if you have fixed capacity, so you only have a hopper car fleet that's so big, how much grain you can move is going to determine, is going to be largely determined by how fast you turn those cars. So their car cycles. Each corridor has a different average cycle to it. So it takes a lot longer to go to the States than it does to go to Eastern Canada, but it takes longer to go to Eastern Canada than Thunder Bay and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So depending on how the volumes break in each of those corridors and what the utilization rates are, they, can, they will determine the overall capacity of the system. And CN doesn't talk about that whatsoever. So when it's all said and done, I guess we could say that CN delivers what the government has asked them to deliver. But from the industry's perspective, I'm not sure that they deliver a lot that is overly informative or concrete or measurable that allows the industry to use the railways information to do their own planning. And this has been the case for four years, really. The plans have not changed and the information has not become any more detailed or valuable to shippers. So I'm not sure that a long list of, you know, We've invested money here, there, and everywhere without information about how we're actually going to move your grain in the coming grain year is going to be very comforting to stakeholders. Yeah, they, they, they are quite quite frustrating. Uh, you know, it's, we've raised a lot of these points. Uh, and, and, you know, to be fair, CNNCP, they ask stakeholders, you know, for input into their plans, you know, months ahead of time. You know what what could change what could be added and, and we've raised a lot of these points you know the plans haven't changed um you know obviously the interesting point is you know these plans especially in a year like this year where we are expecting you know some really interesting or you know difficult challenges as far as the crop size fluctuations in demand quality issues you know, you would hope a plan like this would help the entire sector, not just the railways, but everyone to, to have an idea of, of how to prepare month to month, corridor to corridor. And we really don't get that from the plan. And, you know, to be fair, since these plans have been put in place, uh, we've seen some 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 performance from CN that's that's been some of the, the worst we've seen in, uh, in in many years. Right. So the, the plans don't seem to relate necessarily to performance. Um, and certainly from an ATC, ATC perspective, we'd like to use these 
reports to and and use the ATC, ATC reports to essentially you know judge whether you know CN is performing to the plan. Um, yeah, I, I, you're right, and and I think what's equally disconcerting is that there's no seemingly no requirement or movement from the government's perspective because ultimately it has to come from them as the regulator to hold CN and CP accountable to look back and say what went right and what went wrong with their plan, particularly when you look at how disastrous CN's performance has been over the last three years or so, you would think that that would, uh, you know, signal to somebody that we need to revisit what, what the elements of these plans are and try and figure out how we get better, but that doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah, that accountability mechanism really, really isn't there. You know, ultimately it's, you know, the legislative language seems to have tied Transport Canada's hands and, and they just, you know, they just accept these plans as they come in. There doesn't seem to be a lot of reflection. Obviously, um, you know, there's always a chance at some point to, to change the legislation. Who knows when, when that will be? Maybe it will be soon. Maybe it'll be, be quite a long time. Um, but otherwise, it's, it, it's definitely the focus of it. I know when this was coming out, the grain sector, you know, asked for more specifics to be in there. Um, and we'll continue to do that as, as we move forward. But, but for now, uh, yeah, they, they, they're there. Um, there's something, uh, but, you know, I think we can all look for better execution on, on what this, what would be an interesting concept uh, could be for us uh, moving forward. Well, thanks a lot, Milt. Really appreciate uh, that. Um, we'll talk again at Grain Week 2 next week. For those of you who have an interest in the ATC reports, you can go to www.agtransportcoalition.com. We'll talk to you all later. Bye. <music>